0: I'm gonna make a bold prediction. Be bold, okay? That we're gonna do a closed alpha test of Crashlands Two, and then fully rebuild the beginning of the game again. <laughs> <laughs> F- F- Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 396 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the
1: webs programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist on break. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa, <laughs> we're close to is- that 400. That's just, it's uh, sh- we're so close. We're so close. Pretty soon. Uh, and this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's December 29. 2020, you. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity on this show, probably some some significant amount today, because it's the last day of 2022. And, and I think we kind of uh, didn't hit our quota, actually. Yep. So we, we got to pump those numbers down.
1: up. Those are rookie
2: numbers. We got to pump those numbers up. And by the last day, uh, I assume you mean the last podcast. Yes. Because there's still
0: yes. like a couple more days left. Oh, no. I'm done. I'm done with 2020. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to just stop a few days early. Did yeah. you guys know that was an option? You could just. I don't know. You could just opt out. You could just opt out of the entire rest of the year. What is mm-hmm. your practical
2: approach to doing that? Is it a sleeping through it? Is it a refusing to believe the date on the clock and just say it's the 29th for the next two days? Or- I like that Yeah, approach. It's, it's like, like, like how people time.
0: do with birthdays, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can, you can be 29 for quite a while. Just be a little right. flexible mm-hmm. about it, Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for uh, helping keep our mic tubes full of mic Jeez. lube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know you get to dig it. it's, a, we gotta, it's like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, you, know, you got to lubricate those microphone gears. Yeah, microphone grease. That's stuff's really yeah. hard to
2: get off of things though. So be careful when you're it is the microphone.
0: Yeah, especially it's hard to get out of your eyes. So don't don't do that. Fair yeah. warning. Now, now this episode. Is the last episode that we are recording in 2022, and it will be the first episode that people will hear in 2023. So we're going to do what we usually do with an end-of-year episode, which is we're going to do a little retrospective. We're going to look back at 2022 and what happened. What did we do? And uh, then we're going to make some predictions about what the next year will bring. Is that a pros? Because um, we there's a retrospective. Is that a prospective? That doesn't yep, seem We're gonna right. do a 2023 prospective. Hmm, yeah. Uh, and then we're gonna name, we're gonna come up with some names for 2023, but we're not going to settle on one. We're just gonna propose some ideas, and then we're gonna we're gonna put out the call to get some ideas from our listeners as well. For what's 2023 going to be all about? What kind of year do we want to have? Mm -hmm. Podcast.bscotch.net
2: is where you can go to submit things or comment on the ones that you hear. Or, you know, ask
0: questions for future episodes or whatever. So, yeah. And we won't get into any questions this time around. Uh, So, you know, they're going to be piling up for a little bit. Uh, But that's okay. Uh, All right. So. 2022 we kind of went back through our, our quarterly reviews uh, and looked at all the things that happened and that's overall it was it was a transformative year mm-hmm. for the studio that. we we cocooned um, we kind of liquefied our insides and turned into something different but while still you know retaining the memory of what life was like before <laughs> much like a, much like a caterpillar right mm-hmm. uh so at At the end of last year, we had started, we had wanted to start to scale up and be able to add people to the development team and also change some of the issues that we were having with development that we've always had, which is that programming was always just a really big bottleneck for us. Whenever we wanted to add stuff to our games, it was always a programming problem. Whenever we wanted to fix bugs, it's a programming problem. And because of that, um, I, as the game programmer, was always just on emergency triage mode, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, It also meant that our, our cycle times were very long. Cycle time is the concept of you have a new idea of something you want to get into the game. How long does it take to actually have it in the game? Um, And so if we really wanted to, we could get something added to the game in like a day. But the average cycle time is like six months (laughs) Mm. because we could come up with ideas way, way faster than we could implement them. And so it was easy to kind of convince ourselves that, look how fast we are. We thought of this thing and we got it in in a day. But meanwhile, we've got cards sitting in in, uh, Favreau that have been sitting there for months and months and months. Gathering dust. Um, so at the end of last year we looked at all that and we said, all right, we need we need something new. We need a new. Uh, there has to be a better way. you know, we kind of infomercialed our way into 2023 with the development of a new tool called the Game changer, which uh, the concept that we wanted was a, an interface inside the game itself that we as developers could use to modify and add content to the game. Without code um, So that way Sam for example As an artist as, a, as opposed to being a programmer Could come in and add new creatures to the game Add new environments and terrain And new recipes And add new combat abilities and, You know all this stuff And so there was a full sort of top to bottom Rebuild of Both the game mm-hmm. Our ideas about the game Our studio processes Everything so that all started at the end of last year. I'd say like end of October or something like that. Um, and that was basically the entire first quarter was just the development of the of the tech and the tools. Um, and that's what what I was working on in the first quarter. Um, during that time as well, uh, Sam was working on the first ever in-game cutscene, uh, which we have had cutscenes in our games before. It's like in the original Crashlands, we had... Scenes like when the package, you know, gets sucked into the wormhole and, you know, some stuff like that. But um, those were, again, programming problems. Like those were things that like Sam made some of the art and the, or made the art and then I sort of slapped them it together go. using code. Uh, this time around, Sam made a uh, cutscene for Crashlands 2 completely himself. And then we used GameMaker's new in-game or in-engine video player to uh, actually render that so we legit have like an actual video in Crazy. our it took you know it took a it took a decade but the <laughs> technology finally arrived <laughs> and we could play videos <laughs> yeah
1: i mean making a, making a two minute animatic was, was uh that was a lot it
0: was lot uh of things too mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah <laughs> and we got more to do still but you know we learned a lot from the first one mm-hmm. yeah. so it should be a little faster next time around i yeah. think Yes, yeah, so I think the, um, the biggest thing to me as far as like the last year has been that the is really
1: if you look at how things happen, it's basically the the fact of the, dis, the strategic decision to go for the game changer. And then the results of having that tech are really what ended up kind of spilling out into really all of the other things. So even, you know, we have Stitch Desktop now, which Adam worked on for a couple of months, getting an actual desktop application running such that Seth and I and then again, additional people. Who aren't tech people? So our our audio team, our narrative team, uh, and then our uh, you know, any any other contractors and stuff who are working with us don't have to do anything around versioning of game game maker itself, which is a complicated thing uh, to manage. Don't have to do anything around importing of sounds, uh, but all those things really you could only worry about those once you h- could stop worrying about some of these other pieces, right? That the game changer allowed us to kind of shift the work around in these really big and uh very disruptive sort of ways internally well and also
2: it made the importance of those things higher too because of the shift in the bottleneck right because since the bottleneck previously was so aggressively at seth with programming time then anything else that anybody else needed to do if it took extra time or was a pain in the
0: ass that was actually preferable whatever it was <laughs> right, exactly slow It'd down the pressure on the piling. Piling. <laughs> Yeah, because
2: like, you want to avoid work in progress and piling up at the bottleneck right and so yeah. one of the ways you could do that is just by having the other stuff kind of suck right because mm-hmm. um, yep. you can just rely on people time to develop manual processes and their own like manual ways of of doing the work and checking the work and making sure it's all ready to go before it goes in but as soon as that pressure was relieved, so that now there's kind of a, now there's sort of just there being one kind of global bottleneck, there's just now different kinds of bottlenecks, right? So now we have, we now have like a content bottleneck and a program bottleneck as kind of separate entities. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to content now, basically like as fast as people can get stuff out, like that's as fast as they can get it into the game. At least for stuff that we already know how it works. Um and so now all of a sudden the fact that some of that stuff was hard to do or uh, now
0: now we need to solve that. Problem. Yeah, now needs to yeah. be solved. Yeah, because yeah, Dev DevOps tells us, you know, that that any improvement you make that isn't an improvement to your bottleneck is is an is an illusion.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. At best. And I think at worst we'll just at worst, it, 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 at worst <laughs> it
0: causes way more problems, right? Yeah. And so, so we we did. I mean, and I think if you follow the trajectory of of the kinds of improvements that we've made, something like the game changer was kind of the natural next step because we had been making tons of improvements uh, for for me to be able to get my work done, and that was largely thanks to the work that Adam and Sure and and Jordan have done with. QA with the tooling, with the game pipe, with all that stuff. Where, it, it, like, it, it's actually kind of crazy how you know back when it was when it, when I was the game programmer only, and we didn't have all these tools. You know, I I would make the builds on my machine, trigger them by hand, type up the patch notes by hand, uh, submit those builds to Apple and Google. And check them, and you know, and like check the QA mm-hmm. or check the like bug reports, and and it was just so it was like eighty percent of my time was not just like working on the game itself, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like it's like ninety nine percent of my time is working on the game, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've we've alleviated all that stuff, but um, you know, a bottleneck is a bottleneck, you know, no matter how big or how small, because mm-hmm. if that's where all the work gets funneled into. You can't scale. You just can't scale it, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think so, that's, that's kind of where where I think we ended up then, which is that, you know, through this year, big, you know, we talk about like you make improvements that are very local oftentimes to your situation, right? So you uh, you get like a little, a couple extra percents essentially here, a couple extra percents there. And it does add up certainly over time, frees up more time, allows you to make even more improvements. But every so often you come across one that actually is a jump to just a different This is the difference, the idea of a local versus a global maxima, right? A local one being like getting to the top of the hill that you're currently on, uh, but a a global one being the tallest peak that there is. Yeah,
0: it's uh, – you can get really good at doing things the way that you currently do them, Mm -hmm. Uh, and there is a maximum efficiency there. But then it's – yeah, at some point, you've got to just completely change – how what you're doing and how you're doing it in order to get reach some new you know order of magnitude of 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 uh output right yeah and so that that was what the game changer was all about um and i think it's allowed us to do that too in a very big way which would be great yeah it's been and it's it's also been kind of a mind-bending shift in just how to think about the team and how to think about how we design things and how we implement things. And we, we've learned a lot from that. Um, so some other stuff that happened kind of earlier in the year was uh, Jordan really, really took a lot of ownership of the QA role of the lead QA and put together tons of really interesting tools and tech to help our, um, the rest of our QA team manage uh, device coverage and stuff like that to make sure that we're doing like a, a rotating um, like schedule so that we have like Good we, we know that like every sizes. game, yeah, like every game will be played on every OS within some time frame um, as like new versions of the OS come out, and also like with different control schemes. Like, you know, when was the last time we we had somebody like test like Quadrupus Rampage on Android with a controller? You know, and like that's guaranteed now that we have that that kind of coverage, um, which previously you know we had lots and lots of holes there. So mm-hmm. uh, so we've got all that stuff too. So that was kind of like the very beginning of the year. And then once the Game Changer got up and running, then it was sort of like data migration time because we had this new tool and this new kind of way of working on stuff in the game. But the game was already made. Like we already had all these game systems put together using this old uh, hardcore programming approach as opposed to the Game Changer approach.
2: Well, there was also and another so- piece too that... We kind of skipped over, which was cake frames. Which was in order to build the game changer. Mm-hmm. So Seth think to solve another problem, which was it's, a, it's just a huge pain in the ass to make user interfaces. Doesn't in, user interface meaning like buttons with text on that you click on, and you know Stuff like, you see the game.
1: that's yeah, info. Yeah yeah, basically.
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, the there's one specific difficult part about making interfaces, which is just layout problem Um, what makes interfaces challenging is that you have things that are kind of like nested inside of each other and that also only exist in space relative to other things so like in a if you're programming in a game world then you can be like oh there's a rock here at this location right and then you could say all right now I want this other rock to be you know, at this other location. And, and those two rocks don't have to be sort of like anchored and tethered together necessarily. So like if one of them moves, the other moves, right? Mm. Um, or if one rock gets bigger, the other gets smaller. You know, you don't, you don't do any of that stuff when you're like building a, an environment. But when you're building a menu, you'll be like, all right, I have a window. And now I want a button in the window. And then I want another button next to that button. And they should both just be the right size so that they sort of together collectively span the width of the window, Oh, and then, Which means, and then what
2: happens when you change the language because you have localization, right? And then also, yeah. how, does what your, how does your text change, right?
0: resize? How does your text mm-hmm. fit? What happens what if, when I, you
2: flip from a two by one fucking phone
0: to a one by one iPad or whatever, right? Like, yeah, does everything just to auto just rescale nicely yes. on its own, you know? And so, so interfaces um, just have this sort of self-referential recursive layout problem where the, where stuff needs to know where other stuff is and where it needs to be inside of Windows, you know, and all this stuff. Um And Game Maker, you know, they do a lot of things well, but interfaces, no. not one of them. <laughs> and you, you hear the
2: complaint, basically, like it's a, such a game classic engine. Game Engine yeah. complaint is that UIs are weirdly just hard to do and underserved by the engine makers so that kind of everyone's
0: on their own to figure it out. Yeah. And so, so yeah, a lot of the time, actually I'd say about half the time going into building the game changer at the beginning was actually in building cake frames, which was this, this interface management system. Um, cake frames is as easy as cake or should it be? Wait a second. Cake frames. Yeah. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. That's what I was looking
2: looking for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because I, I wanted to, I, and this is, cakeframes was actually, it, it was an idea that I had long before the Game Changer. And I put together kind of like a a mild version of it, like six months prior. And even even just with that, I was able to kind of like bootstrap some of our previous interfaces into it. But I didn't have, like, it's a really complicated thing to basically make like a, a new descriptive language Big to describe CSS. interface. Yeah, it's, it's basically HTML and CSS, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I needed a, a, you know, a reason to basically suspend development of the game for like six to eight weeks to develop this thing. Um, And the game changer was one of those things where it's like, well, if we don't have a good way to make interfaces, we can't make the game changer. You know, it would just, it would take a year, right. (laughs) Just to make the interface of the game changer. Um, So it was cake frames first, then game changer and cake frames has just paid off Mm -hmm. like a hundredfold. Throughout this year, because that was crazy. the other part of the migration is once the stuff was that uh, was
2: done enough to start being used and start moving stuff from Crashlands 2 as it currently existed into these new systems. So much of that actually was moving interfaces into CakeFrames so that they mm-hmm. could take advantage of all of the cool stuff that was in there.
0: Yep, uh, and and a nice thing about having everything under one roof is if I if I add an optimization to CakeFrames, then I've just now optimized the whole game. Because every interface uses cake frames, um, and so it's been super cool. Uh, so we also then in in second quarter is we brought in Shader Dave to help mm-hmm. us do some uh, visual improvements. So uh, you can find him on Twitter. He does lots of game maker stuff. Does he actually um, go
1: by Shader Dave? Is that like is that his handle or something? No, it's a it's like a really funny. It's a bit like burning. Pants on fire. It's like some kind of comical mm. <laughs> Twitter handle. Like, I guess. I guess when it was
2: something is so Sampy. When you hear this part of the podcast, when you're producing, when you're <laughs> yeah, producing yeah. it, figure out what the link is to his Twitter. So Putters, Twitter yeah, put it, in there. Put it, yeah, put it really, in there. We don't really.
0: We don't really. Tweet. So like we we're, we're not that familiar with his Twitter uh, handle, but we know that he's active on there.
2: We also um, just call him Shader Dave. So like we I'm, just call him I'm Shader. Like, Dave. I I just now realized I was like I don't even know if like I don't know what his last name is. I don't know.
0: It's Shader. <laughs> well, his last name is Dave. His first name is Shader. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. Um, yeah. So so he came in and added a lot of of insight and skill into helping us develop the like uh, like a cool tilt shift effect. And crashlands too, um, and some lighting improvements, and some water visual improvements, and stuff like that. Um, and so that was that was super fun. It, you know, and it, it, this is actually I think the first time we brought in an outside party to just like work on the game code um, mm-hmm. alongside yep. me, and it was fun because it's fun to kind of hear his his perspective on how we do things relative to because he you know he's a contractor he works with lots of other studios and stuff, and so he's seen it all, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And for example, he was, he was just, he's exuberantly pumped about cake frames. (laughs) (laughs) Like he he was able, like, I I basically took 30 minutes and just kind of showed him, all right, here's cake frames. Like, here's how we like make interfaces using this cake frames thing. Um, And then like the next time I saw him, he had built, he had used cake frames to build like a little shader editor thing in the game so that he could like modify stuff in his shader. Um, yep. And so, you know, and he was just like, are you guys going to be like selling this kick frames thing? Or like, how can I, can I have it? How can I get (laughs) it into my stuff? Uh, but that's a whole other problem that we don't really want to deal with right now. (laughs) So, So we're not, uh, so that's been super cool. um, and we've also spent a lot of time, you know, earlier in the year and kind of just throughout the year um, working on improvements to a lot of our game pipe stuff so like we we got the game pipe moved into the cloud mm-hmm. and the game pipe is our build deployment system so that you know when i want to send out a patch for the game a new version of the game i just type a command into a command line and then boom Uh, the game pipe makes it go onto all these devices and then our QA team gets alerted and they test it and stuff Um, but up until June I think it was end of June the game pipe was actually a bunch of computers in my basement I think uh, a the
1: cloud, right? It's like yeah, the it, cloud
0: is just cloud. a computer in somebody else's yep. a warehouse. Yeah. It was right?
2: yeah, it actually still was in the cloud. It was just Seth was the cloud, you know.
0: I'm the cloud. Look at me,
2: yeah. But, but actually, yeah. up until that <laughs> point, we weren't actually really. It was like everything was on all the time, right? Like the like it was ready to go in case mm-hmm. it was needed. But we yeah. had but Crashlands two had been fully migrated to uh, to to a cloud game byte, basically, um, and that's all we needed to make builds of for. You know, months, right? And it was basically that since the other games had not yet been migrated to the, the cloud, the cloud pipe, mm-hmm. um, then we just kind of kept those things running, you know, just just yeah. in case we were going to need them. And at some point we were like, I mean, can we just make it so that we can just we turn die? these things off? And once we need to republish one of our old games for some yeah, reason, well, and, that and we like, just migrate it to the cloud pipe at that point, you
1: know, and that's what we did. Yeah. To sure yeah. credit, he was like, yeah, we could, yeah, sure. Yeah, we could do, yeah. <laughs> we could do that.
0: Well, cause it kind of hit a point where I'm like, you know, I've got like these just five computers or six computers in my basement just running 24-7. Just constantly, yeah. I've, I- that, I don't like that. I feel like that's not great. <laughs> it's a good thing have you know, those solar of my, panels, man. You know. got those solar panels. They don't help so much at night, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's still, they still mitigate the, the the power cost. Yeah. It's like, it's like a hundred watts per hour per computer to just kind of idle there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then while making builds, of course, it you know, spikes up. So. To,
2: have you found uh, that this winter um, your house has been colder because you don't have that extra furnace of PC running in your <laughs> In your basement,
0: uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, we, you upgraded I mean, we'll, your whole AC system. We upgraded too, our so. HVAC mm-hmm, system so, so, last I year. So. <laughs> I don't know. I got no. We changed too many variables at once, and now the experiment is, yeah. is is bogus. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, so you know, major props to sure for getting that uh, getting all the game pipe stuff moved over to the cloud and making it so that you know, if one of our houses gets hit by a tornado or floods or something, then you know we could. At the very least, we can still deploy builds. Mm-hmm. We got other problems now, but you know we don't have that problem, yep. so that's mm-hmm. good. Um, so then, kind of uh, throughout the rest of the year, a lot of it was learning how to use the game changer to like to build new game systems. That was a lot of what, what third quarter was about, and some of the first new game systems that we added. With the game changer were quests. Yeah. Where we could use the game changer to to create quests and hook them together. And um, which also then led us to build out the first ever sort of like opening story sequence of the game where the, the player would land and go through the intro. Um, and we we did some early playables with some friends and and we were able to actually send the game out to business partners and show them kind of this early version of the new player experience, which since then has been completely rebuilt from top to bottom course, multiple yeah. times mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's how it works. Um, but this also allowed us to finally get uh, Jen, our narrative director, into the development pipeline so that she was able to just directly add stuff into the game via the quests. Um, and this was also the time where I think uh, Stitch Desktop really got sort of off the ground So the idea. I don't even know if we talked about that in the podcast. Not much. So I'll give like a quick overview of where it started and then what Stitch Desktop is. So, so Stitch is sort of a collection of backend tools that we use for lots of different aspects of project management and pipeline management. So, like if we want to get art assets into our game, we use Stitch. If we want to take code from one project and pull it into another project, we use Stitch. If we to want clarify, to get-
1: Stitch is a thing that Adam built,
0: right? It's just this mm-hmm. thing that Adam made. Yeah. It's just like a it's like a just a machine in code. Yeah, it's basically um, a, a parser of game
2: maker projects that knows how to manipulate them. Manipulate them. Add yeah. stuff to them. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. So so Stitch was always like whenever we needed something that game maker couldn't do, like let's say we wanted to tell it to take a, our, our, text, our our sprites in the game, our images in the game, and automatically arrange them into texture pages so that we could optimize the game better. Well, GameMaker doesn't have a way to do that, but if we can get into the the files in the GameMaker project, then Stitch can do it, right? And so, you know, whenever we run into a problem like that, we just, Adam just adds that capability to Stitch. Um, but Stitch always had an Achilles heel, which is that... It had no interface. It yeah, was, it was a, a command line tool. Yeah, if you got
2: to boot uh, up a terminal and then type in some cryptic commands, you know, and yeah. And if and you're, if more you're really familiar you had, with them, because like you use those all the time, then it like it follows the the
0: classic expected behaviors, so you can like kind of figure it out if you're really familiar with it, right? Yeah, but, but if you're a, an artist or a sound person or whatever, yeah. chances are you're not that familiar with command line stuff mm. or even, also, if, even
2: if you just use game maker right because like you don't mm-hmm. need to it's use the command, command line right. for most things yeah. that's
0: true And yeah. actually
2: can't game- like you can't do that much with the command line yeah.
0: game maker is a self-contained thing which means yeah. that a lot of game maker programmers actually don't know that much about the kinds of conventions that other programmers have to deal with where they're often like dealing with setting up their environments and doing lots of command line stuff and whatever like game maker programmers don't really worry about that kind of mm-hmm. stuff normally um and, and on top of that, whenever we would add new capabilities to Stitch, if you didn't know that it could do that, you wouldn't you wouldn't use the, that new tool. Yeah, because Figure you would have to, to know to type the command, right? Or, you,
2: or you'd have to know to be like, oh, everyone's well, I should just type Stitch dash dash help to see like mm-hmm. what all the commands are, and then try to remember what the previous commands were. You know,
1: basically, uh, you, you know, have to you be a programmer really to take full advantage of the tool yeah. that's built to make it. So you don't have to be a programmer.
0: Yeah, yeah. In other which words, high cognitive load. Yeah. Cognitive. You got a, um, and, and the final problem was deployment, which was whenever a new version of Stitch came out, we all had to like da- make sure we downloaded like no, new versions of Node and and uh, and then like all go sorts get of wax stuff
1: Stitch. again done through yeah. command line, so it's very yeah.
0: So yeah, yeah. so studio. it's just it's it's opaque. It's very programmery, and it meant that like other people outside the studio, like let's say you know Shader got Dave, Shader Dave working on Shader stuff. Um, if we, if he wanted to use Stitch, then there's like this whole process we basically have to like walk him through to get him set up on Stitch and then to make sure that he's up to date with the latest version of Stitch so that his Stitch is working as intended, right? Um, so, you know, this is – I've often sort of ranted in the past about how like programmers often make solutions that are – programmer solutions but not people solutions right Mm -hmm. and it's like stitch was was working well enough for us as a programmery kind of solution but again it's a scaling problem if we wanted if we wanted to reduce the cognitive load and also to make it so that we could onboard other people into using stitch so that they could become a better part of our team we would need to solve that problem so Mm -hmm. uh so adam started working on stitch desktop which is a graphical user interface Standalone application that is Stitch, but with actually like you can just see it in a window and yeah. you know, interact with it that way. Yeah.
1: And one of the one uh, of the biggest reasons for this is as soon as you have multiple people on the team, you have uh, basically a what's I think referred to in programming circles, or at least the way we talk about it, as configuration hell problem, yeah. which is to say, do you have all the right stuff to be able to be working on the project that you're trying to work on? Do you have like it's like if you you know if you were it's the a works cook on or my or machine thing, you know. But yeah, it's like if you're yeah. a chef and you come to someone else's kitchen and then they just they just like didn't have a sink or you had to like actually manually put the sink together and you might put it be able to put it together wrong or it has pieces that you know you could swap out on accident. It's this whole insane kind of reality yeah. that programmers have to deal with all the time. And the issue was as soon as we had Shader Dave, for example, working on uh, the game stuff, if we upped our maker our game maker version. Or change the runtime, which again I'm saying these words. These are two separate things. You have to get correct in order to properly work on the game and and uh, you know make updates to it. And, send and to it know you're
2: using the same version of the engine basically as everybody else on the team. Yes. Because if you don't, then if Seth was like using one version that had one set of features, right, and then also one set of bugs, right, because mm-hmm. it always it's always got both. And then mm-hmm. Sam's using a different version with maybe one of those features isn't there and there's a few other bugs that aren't in that version, right? And then all of a sudden, Sam boots up the game and weird stuff starts happening, right? Then mm-hmm. the question is, well, why was that happening? And now part of the puzzle of unraveling the mystery is is a check to see, is, oh, oh wait, what version wait. of things are you on, right? Are we on yeah, the right yeah.
1: stuff? And if the answer was the wrong one, how do you, get, how do you update it, right? Where do you yeah. go? And so this is yeah. actually the first thing to solve was like, okay, make it so it's really easy for us to actually just be on the same version. Can we just not have this be a problem? And when I say this is a problem, it's one of those things where, Again, if you're running a studio, you don't really, th- you often don't think about the not making games part, how drastically it impacts the making games part, which is to say that this particular problem would come up about once a month and depending on how sharp we were about it, could take about 20 minutes for set night to solve, but always throw us off our game because you're trying to do something and then it's like, oh, goodness. Uh, but it could take all the way up to like an hour and a half to figure out like what is going on and then you realize it then you got to go. And that's the just with two you, people. Yeah. And sometimes yes. you forget about
2: right. that as a potential problem too because there, there were a few and the reason I was actually 100%. paying attention to this because I did, I did a process audit for everybody on the on the sort of developer side of the team um so for uh sam insurance and seth in particular um and i was i was i had seen a few times like just kind of watching because we're all hanging out in discord together all day right and i had just seen a few cases where like sam saw something weird and then seth was trying to figure out what was going on you know and then a while later it was like oh shit you're just on a different version right like mm-hmm. it was one of those like because it's not immediately obvious that that's the first thing to check right because it's, it's not immediately obvious that that could be an explanation for a problem um then I, there were just a few of these things that I saw and so I just like added it to my question list while I was doing my process audit of like what is like how do you guys do this how do you decide who what version you're on how do you make sure it's on the same version how do you discover that you're on the wrong version like how does all of that work and after we went through these like really good process audits and we got lots of stuff where people found lots of things that They would prefer to be better. And the answer was Universally, everybody was like, (laughs) I want this problem fixed first. I just just hated it the whole time. Even though it wasn't actually the worst problem for anybody specifically, right? But collectively, it was the
0: most like – somehow the most annoying problem was was – Because it shouldn't be – it's not a real problem. Yeah. Right? As in like it's just somebody clicked a button somewhere and now their engine is behaving differently. But yep. it's not like, oh, yeah, I programmed something wrong or, oh, we have a, a malformed art asset that needs to be written. No, it's none of that. It's just like somebody just downloaded something without knowing whether they should or not, right? Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's just such an easy, dumb thing that can throw you – and also I think I think the the real kicker of it is – is because, you know, new versions of, say, like the, the game maker engine come out kind of at random, right? Mm-hmm. Then, uh, and if somebody is downloading new versions also kind of at random, like sometimes they do download the new version, sometimes they don't, right? Then if you've got three, four, five people on the team all doing this, then any given day, somebody's game may just start behaving unpredictably and you don't know when was the last time they pulled in Git, like when... Like all these dumb questions, basically. Yeah, how many versions has it been since they – and all this stuff. And so getting everybody in sync just then makes you actually get to focus on what the real problems are that you yourself have introduced Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus external random ones. So That's huge. um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so Stitch Desktop has been evolving, and and it's not something that we have uh, unveiled to the – the public at this point. Yeah, the
2: Stitch CLI is publicly available. Um yeah, if you and are fairly savvy with command line stuff because it's not it's non trivial to, to use
0: definitely. Yeah. And there's a there's a chance that we will open up Stitch desktop to external use because it is not not necessarily like anything that's tightly tethered to stuff that we are doing. Um it might become tethered to stuff that we ha- have proprietary, yeah. I don't know, yeah. but but if it, you know, if it manages to stay standalone, then we'll, you know, we'll think about letting other people use it. It is a pretty incredible, even that. with, even with as like, cool, as little as it yeah, does doesn't do much right yet, now, yeah. it still solves so many. It's mostly at the moment, just, <laughs> just a project launcher. Like that's its main thing,
2: right? You just like put your projects in there and then hit play. And launch right? them and it. Make sure that you're on the right version and stuff. And then, yeah. And then, a ver- like, a GameMaker version chooser and like, auto-installs GameMaker for you and all that stuff, right? But it's still it's basically a launcher. That's, like, its its core job, right? Um, but that already is just... It's just a really nice... It's just so nice. It's like Yeah, it takes advantage like, of stuff.
0: Just, kn- just knowing that, like, if I boot up a project through Stitch, then Stitch will automatically download and set up the correct version of GameMaker and launch that, and I just never... Have to worry about that again. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go asking somebody, am I on the right version? I don't have to do an archaeological expedition to figure out what the last version was. And it so caches each version hell. too, so
2: you can just switch back and forth between versions that you've used literally instantly. Yeah, just...
0: I, yeah. Because the other problem was like, if I wanted to switch Game Maker versions, I'd have, have to go find that version somehow, and there's not an easy way to do that through the like Game Maker website. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to like manually install it and click all these confirmation buttons and stuff. No, Stitch is just is just doing all that behind the scenes for us. Oh. Oh, so good. It's so it's good. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. And then sort of as we've come into the tail end of this year, um, it's, been a, it's been a lot of sort of like cashing in on all this work that we've been doing where we've just been blasting new content into Crashlands 2, developing lots of new game systems. We've been working on like this uh, buff-debuff system, lots of big world map overhauls. We've been building out more tiers of content in the progression tree in Crashlands 2. Um, we got Fat Bard, who's our audio contractor, um, onboarded. So Fat Bard, their team is using Stitch and the Game Changer and all that stuff. And so they're able to add sounds to the game themselves and hook them up themselves. And, you know, again, less pressure on the bottleneck, but more stuff added to the game. Um, And so overall, it's just been, you know, it's been very much that kind of like hockey stick graph when it comes to production because basically nothing happened for- Quite a while while we were developing all these tools for, like, the first half of the year. And then as we started to use them, we still had a lot of work to do to kind of figure them out and get our processes in order. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's just, like, things are happening so fast now that most days when I boot up the game and I'm testing some stuff, I come across, like, an item or a quest or a sound or something that I didn't even fucking know existed. (laughs) It just suddenly... I've got. There. Suddenly, I've got a grappling hook. Suddenly, yep. I've got a net that I can catch bees with. Wait. Oh, we have bees. I didn't know we had bees. <laughs> yep. Right. Uh, like. Well, I think I it was, don't know. it's just is
1: that is it then, I think where we finally entered. You know, if you think about uh, people talk about phases of development of something like a game or any big creative project, and usually pre production and then production. Pre production is typically all about two things. One is figuring out what you're building, and then figuring out how the fuck to build it efficiently. So, in other words, pipelines. And uh kind of prototypes are kind of your big pieces. And what's interesting is that they they go hand in hand in an important way because as your pipelines get more established, the speed with which you can iterate on the ideas goes up to the point where I think we're these aren't like very, they aren't hard-edged phases of the process, right? It's not like you, it's not like there's a day where you're like, we are in production now. It's like different kind different parts of the game can be in production mode at any given time or in pre-production mode. And production is just where you're you're able to say, essentially, we know what we need to build and how to build it. Now it's just a matter of doing all that stuff. Right. And I think we're I think we're actually in that kind of that phase shift of kind of pre-production stuff has started to wind down in a way where we're we're getting a lot of answers to questions. Um that we've had for a very long time that we couldn't quite ever answer because our speed wasn't fast enough. Uh, but now we, I think, we're, we're still remaining on a few of these. There are still a few higher level beats about the overall design of the game, um, how the content works, interacts with itself, and that sort of thing that we're still kind of figuring out. Thanks to all these other changes that we've made, but I think we're actually we're in that we're still in that I would say the tail end of, of
0: pre-production. Uh, and the early part of actual production on the game, finally at this point. Uh, yeah, and it's it's weird to think about it because in the past, I would say so. So now, now I think in terms of like the life cycle of development of the game, it's like a couple years of pre-production and then like a year, year and a half of production is probably mm-hmm. what it what it'll be. It's the Which, definition of taking the time to go fast, right? Is,
2: right. is that upfront investment in making yeah. it easy and fun and
1: possible to do all of the stuff you actually need to do well and quickly. Yeah. You don't yeah. necessarily want that to happen every time, right? So ideally we talked about, I think on the previous episode, ideally once we finish Crashlands two, we can leverage a bunch of the things that we already have to either add more stuff to Crashlands Two or, to be able to build out the next game with a much higher level of speed from the get-go, right? Because we want to... Well,
2: and this, this is... Yeah, screen.
1: this is how any
2: um, successful company, especially in the tech space, but any successful company that, that survives and thrives, right, is always because they built some stuff that they get to keep leveraging, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's They
0: have something that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. It's called a competitive advantage. Yep. <laughs> yes. You've made a tool that nobody else, nobody else can match your speed or your level of precision, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like I once I learned about – you guys know about Lego and the quality standards that they have for their bricks? <laughs> like no other manufacturing process in the world can match the, the level of precision and quality that Lego has <laughs> for producing their bricks,
1: right? Yeah. No wonder you can't pry those fuckers apart. You know and no I mean? wonder they're yeah. so expensive, molecularly they're, sealed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like – and they're so small – you know, yeah. and they're like, they're- And so they just varied, right? Like, yeah. Think about the
2: sheer number of different kinds of bricks they have yeah. to produce.
0: And like, how many times have you bought a Lego set or, or, or like built something with Legos and had a brick that didn't- That's get, true, actually, yeah.
2: Literally right? never. That's never
0: happened. Literally never, right? And it's like that. And, and if you think about it- That's insane. If that happened, you wouldn't, the whole thing, you, your trust in yeah, you everything would dissolve. Well, right? yes, you
1: can't finish
0: you can't build the damn yeah. thing that you bought because one of the bricks is shaped wrong, right? Yeah. And it's so it's like a it's puzzle like,
1: with a missing piece, right? It's like, well, you literally can't do the puzzle anymore. Yeah, like yeah. You've, you've never
2: had to like shave off a little extra plastic or something, right?
0: Right, get, right. Yeah, just yeah. literally whatever. And so you know, when there are other things, I remember like building stuff with like with connects, right. And, like, every now and then, it's like, the plastic would kind of, like, malform or something like that, mm-hmm. and you couldn't, like, snap the things together. Um, and, you know, there have been a lot of these kind of, like, build-your-own-X kinds of things that you could get as a kid. Like, Lego has always been the one that's just – it's it's just persisted through, the, through time, mm-hmm. and nothing can unseat Lego to the point where, like – there's like Lego Batman, movie, you know, they're just like, they're like, if we could do this one thing really, really well, which is just like manufacture tiny bricks, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> then and yeah. lots of them with, you know, yeah, with huge variation,
0: yeah. uh, then that all, all else will just fall into place, you right. know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all about making sure that you really understand what it is that, that you're making and how you're making it and that the processes you're using to build the thing are actually the most important part of building it. Well, I think it's, it's also... Not, it's not the
2: thing itself. It's always making sure you're framing stuff in the right way, right? With, with this idea of like, what is the work actually, right? Because we spend so much time being like, well, the work, if you're a programmer, the work is the programming. Therefore, everything else is like, not the work. You got to get that out of the way, Right. But the reality is like like Lego is a manufacturing company, right? We think of it as a toy company mm-hmm. or even a design company, right? And mm-hmm. it is also both of those things, right? But at the foundational most core most important level, true. they're it a, a company. manufacturing company. And a distribution They make tiny company. plastic bricks, they make tiny plastic <laughs> bricks, and they have, and they have to <laughs> and they have to do it really well to have the rest of the stuff work, right? And I think games are the same sort of idea. Games are A game company is a tech company, right? It's a tech company first and then a game company second because you're working with technology to put all the things together that allow you to then build and like bring on a team to implement all of their skill sets into this final technical product, right? And then to finally deliver it and deliver it in a relatively bug-free way across lots of platforms, right? On timetables forced upon you by third parties and all this kind of stuff, right? Like, and so if you don't think of yourself as a, if you're, if you're making games and you don't think of yourself as a tech company, then that's where you're, you're under this stuff you're just, you're just fighting stuff constantly and not getting to like really
1: invest in that external context that lets you actually be a game company. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was earlier this year, Adam, I think it might've been the quarterly or the yearly in January, we would kind of try to go really high up and see where we're going mm-hmm. with stuff where you had, you had mentioned the, the frame of saying we're not building Crashlands. we're building a team in a studio that is capable of producing yeah, crash a game like crash lands yep. yeah and it's it's a weird it seems weird but i think when you go on that higher level mode of operation then it makes it easier to see why certain things are much more important mm-hmm. for the overall success of even your game downstream so why is it important to build like Stitch desktop put in the time for that. And it's like, well, you know, if everyone on your team who works directly on the game once every week or two burns an hour and a half. Like an hour and a half is and oftentimes like when they start working together to review stuff. This is what happened. You say on Monday something, I would sit down and review yeah. stuff be yeah, like, fuck. Um, it's always the worst possible time. It's the, yeah. So it's like you you just your your team's being crushed by all this stuff constantly, right? And so it's, it's like you you start not just removing this overall burden from the team but then also adding uh, you know adding these additional propulsive mechanisms to the team's actual success uh, and I think in a way that, that makes it easier to see if you frame it as that really high level building a team that can make this thing not building the
0: thing yeah it's yeah, g- get really really good at understanding like the absolute most fundamental thing that you have to do like in the case of Lego it's if if one in 20 Lego sets that you bought had a misshapen brick and you <sighs> couldn't build the thing then the best video game ever made wouldn't have existed, which is of course Lego Star Wars. <laughs> <You know? 'Cause laughs> Star these things are so good. Yeah. yeah. So if if a bunch of you know manufacturing nerds hadn't obsessed over precision tiny brick engineering 50 years ago or whatever, then you know all these knock on effects would never have happened, and and the company wouldn't have succeeded because you need that trust, right? I mean, so many of the Lego video games are just they're top They're notch. just they're just they're just stellar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the right, movies, so, the fucking Lego movies. They're great. They're all really good. Yeah. are a blast. The Lego, uh, was it Lego Batman? Oh, yeah. Man, so good. So dumb, but so, <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, I love it. Stupid as hell, but in like, all the best <laughs> yeah. ways possible. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we got a few more things to talk about on this episode. No, uh so that was our that's kind of our year in review. Lots of stuff happened, but it's just lots and lots of like tools engineering and learning new processes and really ramping up production and scaling things up. So uh so we all went and wrote down some predictions for 2023. Oh
1: yeah, I got my. Uh
0: and we have not shared these predictions with each other. Uh so we we you know we don't know. So we're gonna talk about them. So so we each made some predictions about what we're gonna do in the studio and also what's gonna happen in the the industry mm-hmm. at large. Yeah. Before we get into our senior predictions,
2: I do want to say this is the first time I'm trying to like think about like what I'm hoping for for like the team, that kind of stuff. This is the first time that I sat it down and didn't feel like, and my predictions weren't actually focused on how do we make oh, too many things are too hard. So, what will yeah. we be doing to make? those That's really hard, hard horrible things much better like literally this time i was like oh no what are we like what is gonna happen because mm-hmm. it actually all and turned out for to me to be about like what's happening more at the business level than at the yeah
1: doing the work level yeah so i think all, right. all so let's go through and each each of us just just say your three and then we'll discuss sort of the pile that way we don't have to get into each one sort of like with too much you know too much time as we yeah can. so my three are we're gonna Figure out how to sign a deal that's a big deal. At least that's my hope uh, hmm. for the next year. One way or another.
0: Who knows? So partner with some publisher or platform that really like yeah. elevates elevates the, is, the game and the studio. And-
1: yeah, because the goal is for Crashlands to come out in 2024-ish. And so it's like, like- first thing, basically. Like first thing. So that needs to happen this year, definitely. So I'm not putting it on my list for sure. Uh, two, also my of course. course, is announcing Crashlands 2, but in a way that I think I want it to be one where, you know, in the initial game, we did our green light campaign, and that went really well uh, at the time. But I want, I want something that's sort of on a much higher level finesse scale of that as far as when the announcement goes out for Steam Wishes and stuff. I want to have a really successful announcement. Uh, and then the third one is experimenting with additional uh, art power. So we've now brought in an extra programmer on the game, um, potentially bringing a contractor for some additional art power at some point. I think it's just feeling like that might be something we're going to need to do. Um, and I think we're we're just about at the point where we actually could once we move a few of the additional tools into uh, Stitch Desktop. So uh, those are my three studio ones.
0: Okay, so Sam Which hit I? two that Adam already had. So Adam, yeah, what's your third? I actually goal? I
1: made a few though. So I
2: actually have two. I have two left. Now. Okay. Uh, so one of them is, and these are actually kind of things like I hope happen sure, yeah. um, and i think that they will be able to based on how like my time will need to be used which is i think my time will get kind of freed up in like the second quarter of 2023 yeah um so one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the studio is some sort of more generalized form of the game changer which isn't even necessarily about games actually but is about like managing data management yeah managing well described data at a project kind of level um and finding ways to make that really effective and collaborative and that sort of thing so that's something i hope to start exploring this year and figure out like what that could look like uh and then kind of related to that um uh rumpus has been in this weird like this like the rumpus website the rumpus sort of system um has been kind of untouched for like like a long time like nine months, right? and because of kind of how we're looking at our business plans for Crashlands 2 and seeing that like it's actually really hard to have this cross-platform login system because so many platforms don't want it and they actively, and fight, like, us actively fight us on it, right? <laughs> that we've kind of pulled back our our sort of web-oriented designs, right? And so that also kind of meant we're like, oh, well, that means it's kind of like we don't need to really do anything with Rumpus because it works, it's still powering Levelhead and all of our other games, right? uh and so we just kind of let it sit there um and uh and i've been i've already started kind of getting it back into shape so we can start like deploying it and updating it again but in doing so and with all the stuff that I learned over the past year i'm kind of seeing how we can still kind of once it's tuned up a bit reorient it for our continued developer use and for things like if we want to hook up web stuff to stitch desktop and that kind of thing right that we can still use it to power what the studio is doing, maybe just less in a, like, user, and a consumer-focused consumer still, way, right? Right? It yeah, is, that's,
0: that's that's a consumer-focused dev- It is great like, as a I think RUB is
2: going to get pushed further as a developer tool this year. Guys, that's that's great. Cool. Yeah, that's what
0: you got. Right, so my three, uh, one was, yeah, the, the big unveiling of Crashlands 2, which Sam already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also am predicting that by the midpoint of the year, so by the end of June, that the numerical... Amount of content in Crashlands two is like the number of items and recipes and stuff will surpass the amount of content in Crashlands. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, That'll be easy, I think. Because uh, it, it's straight up like like a month and a half ago, it was at like ten percent, and now it's at like fifty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's gonna happen. Like so next month, basically. Now that now that we have a roadmap for how the progression will work in Crashlands two and stuff, like. Dude, the volume of stuff in this game is just, it's just blasting off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then I also predict, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Be bold. Okay. That we're going to do a closed alpha test of Crashlands 2 and then fully rebuild the beginning of the game again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, correct. For like the fifth time. Uh, because that's what you
1: do, right? It just got it. Could- if you build sixty hours of game, but no one could play for through the first you know thirty minutes mm-hmm. because it's boring matter. or confusing yep. or it's I mean I hate that fact you know because I think once you've been That's designing a game true. and working on it for a long time you're like but I want to make want to make the new stuff but it's like it's first new. impressions matter
0: the most yeah
1: you know the reality is if if other people can't even experience the current stuff uh, it's all new to them you know. So yeah. you gotta, you got to optimize well, and, there
0: first. And there's, there's kind of – there is a, an unfortunate development philosophy that kind of creeps in in the industry, which is the idea that like most players will never play any game for more than 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those 10 hours better be really, really good. And then after that, you have enough kind of buy-in and forgiveness from the player that you can kind of have some jank. Right, Because you've given the player enough context and tools and stuff that, that they can figure out their way around maybe some awkward shit that you've got at hour 20 or something. But uh, that, that first chunk, I is funny, to, I for me, it works really exactly tight. opposite.
2: It's like the moment it starts to get kind of janky is the moment that I start – when I'm now sitting down for a game session or like thinking about – because like a game that just like feels really good the whole time is the game that when I walk away, I'm planning thinking what I'm going to do next time I sit down and play it. You know? Yeah. And as soon as it yep. starts getting janky and I start getting kind of frustrated – and annoyed by stuff then that's when, when i leave i'm just kind of relieved and i'm not i'm now not thinking about
1: the next i have a I different theory about this which is not that it's some like industry thing that people decide to do but rather that it just is the case that you that's can only put goes. yeah you can only put so much energy into a project overall yeah. right that your team has mm-hmm. and it is true that you had better put most of your energy into the front of it rather than the back of it because again doesn't matter what you built at the back if no one gets if through people the front. can't get through
0: that yeah well I think yeah. it's a fair
1: argument too about
2: people you hear people saying these days often things like games are just too long now right <laughs> uh, and I think there's I do think there's some truth to that not not just from a like there's from a lot of angles there's some truth to that but I think the one from a developer standpoint is that you can't realistically do a lot of good design and then because designs also require testing right even if everything actually does work and right whether it delivers at the actual intended experience and then whether that intent experience is actually even good right are all things that themselves need testing And because every change to a game cascades into all parts of a game. um, as you're changing the game, you can't you just realistically can't retest 60 hours or 80 hours of content over and over and over again, right? You can't, you cannot do it. There's not enough human time in the world. Because in the end, it needs to be tested by people because that's who the final yeah, the final endpoint is the human experience. Like, is this actually good? And so you just you just can't. And so Sam, like you're right. I think just realistically, like you just test stuff at the beginning, because that's,
1: you need to, but also, that's the can part that gets us. <laughs> like, what else can you do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're too long. I think they're generally too boring, but that comes out of the game. Well, I think it's stuff. kind of the same, you know? Yeah. 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 It's one of
0: the same. Well, yeah. Well, this is the, the perpetual problem we had. Like, we would get that one point of feedback from the original Crash Rans where people talk about it being a grind. Not everybody, right? But that was like the most common complaint that we got about the game was that it was grindy, right? And we at at one point we did we did just reduce the costs of crafting material or crafting stuff by like forty percent, so you just mm-hmm. wouldn't have to go out and collect as much stuff, right? And didn't do anything. It changed nothing, right? And it's like okay, that taught us some things, right, mm-hmm. about like what is a grind actually? Yeah, it's a it's a bigger
1: design problem than just yeah. And it's not usually an economy problem,
0: actually. It's not an an economics problem. It's a, I have only one next move to do, and it's going to take me 20 minutes.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's not particularly interesting to do that. If
0: (laughs) if I have 10 choices and I pick the one that I'm really interested in, and it takes me 20 minutes, I'm fucking pumped about those 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a grind. And if interesting
2: stuff happens, even if you only have one thing to do, but if, like, Mm -hmm. while you're doing it, interesting stuff happens that
0: keeps you engaged, that's also fine. It's not a grind anymore. Yeah, Yeah, so a Grind is just having work to do with very little choice of the matter. That's what a grind is. It's chores, uh, is what it is. It's chores. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you make your game not have chores? Like that's the kind of thing that we learned from from Crashlands. But again, like that just comes from just people playing the first chunk of it and then complaining about yep. it. Uh, so, uh, all right. So let's talk about industry predictions. So I'll start with I'll start with mine. What's gonna happen in the games so, industry? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Do yours then, because you got
1: one. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think the the AI art reckoning is is no, underway, coming. and I think this year because it extends to it's both art and vo voiceover. Yeah. in particular, is I think it's actually even the more fascinating one. Um, I think it means two things. I think one, there's going to be a lot more quote unquote fully voiced indie titles next year. I, don't I think, wasn't it, there, it
0: like a rick and morty game that just came out they had a an ai voice yes
1: character. high on life they used ai voice to like as stand-in basically during production right so you and then they're just like the oh it's good enough
0: and they just left one it. of them
1: they left one of them in yeah. yeah um so there's one fully ai voiced apparently they say it's a minor character they'll say who of course but it's a minor character so my guess is that it's gonna lead to just that fact that there's a lot more fully voiced things in this next year like in places where you of production values or you wouldn't have expected it, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it's extremely expensive to do fully voice game, like extremely, yeah. extremely, extremely. Well, and it requires
2: also really tight production because because it is so expensive and it's really hard to change, right? You can't just change yes. a voiceover, right? So you have to get it re-recorded, which is very expensive. And mm-hmm. so you can't really do it unless you either, from the very beginning, have a full design that you don't really deviate from, right? Mm-hmm. Or unless you can afford to, like, really, like, overhaul
1: it as you go. Or if it's all done at the end, like, once the game is. Mm-hmm. And you just have stand and stuff up until that point. Yeah. So, that's my guess on that side. And then on the art side, it's kind of, it's kind of similar. So, I, I've done a much more experimenting with AI art over the break. Um, I'm pretty dubious about it from, like, a... Because it doesn't solve any of the actual integration challenges. But it does solve sort of just making some stuff. Sort of a concepting, really. Concepting. In or some, just, like, some pretty, uh, one-off assets, almost. Yeah. Um, so I I know that there will be a bunch of games that have AI art in them over this next year, and potentially depending on the kind of game, there may be some that actually do have only AI art in them. Yeah, for more kind of see, fast story
2: games where it's more static kind of potentially. And stuff, yeah, or like, like a
1: card game. I think you could you could probably do. Yeah, that's true. Um, actually, card yeah, game would, would be well. good for that. Yep. Yeah, yep. generating those like little portraits and stuff because those are you know it's annoying as hell on the art side because you have to, like make hmm. like really fantastic little illustrations that are a thumbnail. Um, but yeah, which is good. what AI is great at yeah
0: now helpful. that you mention that I'm like man I could use cake frames and some AI art and just make a card game oh for real you can make a card <laughs> game in yeah. <laughs> so.
1: um, but I think I think the actual reckoning side of it is basically is, is coming as far as the impact what this on means them. for artists industry yeah. and, and
0: how much it's going to be about it. Well, and if there's going to be, you know, some kind of a legal uh, yes. issue where like, like, are we going to have laws coming down about, about, I don't know, it's, it's the, the, my have thing. Up, some. Yeah. Yeah. But the crazy thing about it is like the arguments that people make against AI also apply to people. Yes. Where they say like, you can't use AI because it's violating copyright because all it does is look at a bunch of other artists work and then make new art using that like what it yeah. learned from those and it's like well, that's what actually, a person does
1: <laughs> i think i think the a very direct one that that is much more conveniently uh adjacent to ar is this idea of what's called photo bashing which is happens a shit ton in the con- in concept art which is where mm-hmm. you literally you're taking photos you bring them into photoshop cut off pieces so it's you like, literally take them like you yeah. copy paste them into photoshop yeah. yourself you Take, you cut them up, you sort of like make – you're essentially making like a high – it's like a high-tech collage, I guess is the way to put it. And then sometimes you paint over them, but sometimes you fucking don't, right? Yep. And uh, and that is – that's just much closer in comparison to kind of what's happening on the AA art side. And that's been a standard in the, in the concept art industry now for I don't know, like a decade or so because it is – it's the only way that they, those big concept art houses can keep up with production demands uh, for how to yeah. like pump out stuff, right? Well, that's in, also why in a way
0: kind – of yeah, in a way this is a lot like the kind of like debates about 3D printing that people had where like if if you're a manufacturer and you've got this specific product, right, and then somebody can just, just 3D it. print that thing, right, mm-hmm. then then you're mad about it. Not because it's necessarily a problem, but because it's it's bad for you for business. Yes. Right. It's not like a societal problem necessarily that somebody can just like make their own figurine of a character like a Warhammer character, as opposed to buying it for a hundred dollars or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it is bad for for you if you got the IP for for Warhammer, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of those kinds of of shakeups happening. It's gonna get real weird. Yeah, it's gonna
1: get real yeah. weird, and messy. I think this next year. For yeah. Sure.
0: Uh, okay. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a good AI is definitely like bl- gonna blindside the shit out of just like everybody <laughs> yes. in the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I right, so it. my industry predictions: one is think there's gonna be a lot more news about unionizing. Oh yeah, I think a yeah. lot of studios are going to have their people unionizing. Uh, you know, this is coming on the heels of uh various like retail places unionizing and and stuff like that. But then also, I mean, Blizzard's that, been trying to for some time now too. Well, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and they've got a subsidiary pro- proletariat, which is a group that they I think like acquired or something like that that is unionizing. I mean, uh, it's but, got the name. It's got the name exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, this is kind of coming on the heels of all these tech layoffs and stuff, and kind of like with the economy probably. Continuity being a, uh, being yeah. somewhat tepid in the next year um, um, at best. Um, and, and with despite that, with unemployment still being quite low, mm-hmm. then the power is still in the hands of workers to basically band together and say, fuck this, you know. Uh, and I think you're going to start to see a lot of that in the next year. Um, I'm going to predict that Facebook is going to scale back on metaverse stuff <laughs> and announce and really go hard into AR uh-huh. They're gonna try to take all that's their metaverse fair. tech and be like, oh yeah, AR was the their thing all along. And they're gonna just kind of quietly sunset this like VR stuff. Yeah. And take th- all that tech that they've made and try to do some AR stuff. Yeah, I think I think yeah.
2: like every time I've heard anything about VR stuff, I'm like, I feel like I hate this and I don't want it. Everyone's missing <laughs> the v- everyone's missing the AR stuff. Like that's where it should be going, because that's where the actual like useful stuff is you know
0: i think but well and they have to develop ar tech for vr because the the vr headsets have cameras in them that then allow you to kind of like do ar stuff with your environment because you need to be able to flip flip your vr headset into this mode where you can see your surroundings without taking the whole headset off right and so they actually have to develop ar for the vr to be feasible uh but you know having this giant bulky headset and you know we've talked we've talked at length yeah, about all the problems obviously. that VR has. Um, but if you can take a lot of that tech and condense it down and do some stuff where maybe like it can take advantage of the processing power of your phone, right? Mm-hmm. And uh and link up via something. Then like, yeah, there's there's a lot of possibilities for, for that. But at the same time, everybody hates meta. Yep. And so they will Let it they continue. will they'll make that pivot and people will be like, yeah, I'm still not, not on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yeah. buying your new weird like, you know, Facebook monocle, or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're making. Uh, but yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, I think there's going to be a big or a, a continuation of the sort of like shakeup in the GPU side of things as crypto just continues to fall out of favor and become more of a joke um, uh, because crypto was the thing that fueled all the GPU prices. Nvidia took advantage of that, and they've been releasing higher and higher priced cards that basically don't really do much more than the last generation. And probably, I'm gonna bet that gravy that, train's coming to a halt. I mean, I'm gonna bet that Nvidia tries to keep that trend going of incredibly high priced video cards, and AMD will probably come in and try to, you know, take over the the market. Um, would be my my bet. <laughs> Uh, nice. And I have one final one, which, again, a bold prediction. I'll make a bold prediction. I think no next year, no game based on blockchain technology will receive <laughs> critical acclaim. <laughs> Both. So, you so heard you you we'll just I'm really continue
2: s- that, that. I'm going to say
0: no NFT game will receive a Game of the Year award next year. I'm really swinging for the fences <laughs> on this prediction. <laughs> Spicy, Spicy tape. Uh I would mean, as, as, as much as consumers love NFT games, they love to consume them. Uh mm-hmm. but I just I just don't think I don't think don't the critics really get it, you know. I don't think yep. they understand. No, totally. The blockchain yep. tech is so amazing. Yeah, that was that yeah, on my
2: like that was the top of my list. Was basically that NFT games will just, just I mean stop continue existing. to not be a thing. But I think because because I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but like over the past couple of years, there have been so many attempts, like like large company attempts to like inject nfts into things right and never worked there's literally no nft game that is, has any meaningful critical acclaim right and uh and so i think people are gonna i think this this year people are gonna stop trying to make that work in any like significant capacity so i think like nft games my prediction is that this is that they're
0: dead like well no they'll still go appear, for it.
2: right but like not in a
0: in a large way Someone yeah. someone will come out with one because they started working on it in 2022 and they finally got it done in mm-hmm. 2023 and then they'll announce it and then people will be like, oh, are we still doing this? I thought we weren't doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. And That'll kind of be the reception. So, yep. <laughs> uh, what uh, else you got? And then my other one um,
2: that – because otherwise I had a few others, but they're all probably canceled out by the other stuff we talked about um, is I think we're going to see a – Continued push by the big players into subscription services, um, yeah. and that, that's where increasingly going go anywhere. Games are going to be ending up. And also, I yep. think where uh, it will still be possible to make a living as a game developer. Um, I think it's that's that market of the subscription markets is increasingly where it's going to be possible to do that successfully.
0: Um, so Which does mean, as a as a newer developer, making something that you can like take to GDC and pitch mm-hmm. to a platform partner is probably more important than ever. Yep. You know? Uh, okay. So now we got our predictions for 2023. Now we wrap check. up the episode with what's 2023 called? What's the mm. theme of 2023? Uh, so this past year, it was 2020 you. It's all about you, right? It could Which be 2020 like, me.
1: It's all about I think it's all me. about you, but also it's not about you, right? So, so yeah, like you could
0: take it piece. either way you wanted, either – Focus on yourself or re- realize that you're not that important in the grand scheme of things, you know, and that not everything is about you. You can kind of mm-hmm. go either way, Take right? pressure off, baby, you know? It's not yeah. Mm-hmm. So 2023, uh, I have – all right. So I have my initial batch of pitches if you guys want to hear mine. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. And yeah. then – Okay. Okay. So – Twenty twenty tree, get out into nature. Oh, you yeah. know, we've been in lockdown a lot. Go touch That's grass. True. You know, Go get out, there. get grass. out there, get some vitamin D. Twenty twenty tree.
1: I like <laughs> twenty twenty tree. Like touch grass. <laughs> it's just normal. <as> <laughs> Everybody needs to calm the fuck down. Get Go back touch connected grass. to
0: people. Yeah, get out. That's actually pretty good. I like. All right, I've also got twenty twenty flea. Run away from your problems. Mm. You know. Yeah. uh... If if you run fast enough, maybe they'll maybe your problems will just become someone else's problems, like running away from a bear. You only problem, have to be as fast or faster than the person next to you,
1: right? Yeah, the problem I have is a lot of problems that we that we're currently facing. I just can't seem to run away
0: from. You yeah. know what I
1: mean? They'll follow. Like yeah. electricity prices going up like forty percent for me next month.
0: Just, but if you just run far percent. enough And fast enough You won't have any problems That's true we'll Go back, you back in know, time Run yourself to death Exactly just die I was thinking about the flash But also dying Yeah also dying. Like, That's true Because if you run fast If you can go back in time To uh, win oh, yeah. And if you run far enough to south then You won't have shit. to You won't have to pay For any heating bills You know You gotta true. go real far south Now though Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah, it's, Because it's snowing In Texas nowadays That's mm-hmm, <laughs> That's the yeah. thing that happens Alright I've also got Similar to this past year. So the, I'm not really in favor of this one, but I just got to pitch it, which is just 2020 me. Take mm. care of yourself, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just really focus on yourself. Because yeah. last year we gave you the option not to by having it be sort of like a, you know, 2020 you. Either it's all about you or it's not about you. But yeah. this time, 2020 you took me. took
1: that a little too far. You know,
0: you got to do some self-care this year. Yeah, we'll do some self-care. I've also got 2020 P. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Keep it clear. Keep, you know? Keep, keep a clear P stream. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've got, uh, I got I got a handful
0: Oh well, I got two more Okay, oh, I got yeah, Two cool. more uh, Alright I got 2020 Squee Do some cute stuff
1: mm, Yeah You know
0: good. Just uh, yeah. partake in things That kind of make you Squeal With mm-hmm. delight that's good. And last one is Just 2020 free Do what you want This is a free year You know We're not even gonna mm. Hold anything over you This year uh, You're off the clock Okay Just yeah. do whatever you want Maybe. 2020 free
1: Okay I got I got a I got a few um, One is Twenty trouble-free, which feels Ooh. a bit, you know, a bit like a bit of a mouthful, but feels good, you know, trouble-free. It's like troubles—you can put that on anything. It's not just problems, because problems are problems, right? But troubles—you don't want to be troubling. troubled. You don't want to be troubled about the things that you got problems with, you know.
0: You're gonna have problems. Do you have to be troubled about the problems? No. Which kinda, it's kind of—it's kind of implies like just take care of your, just get it, get ahead of it, you know. Take care of your stuff. Mm-hmm. In advance so that you just don't have any mm-hmm. troubles.
1: Uh, for those of you who, who you know, want to try some other food stuff, you, you got 20 gluten-free. Also, mm. that's an option. You know, that's an option. 20 gluten-free.
0: Free. Fuck off, bread. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, one that and I most did. other food products. I like <laughs> almost <laughs> everything. <laughs> 20 Jubilee. You twenty know? jubilee. Don't pay your debts. Don't pay your debts, but also, <laughs> it's more of
1: like clearing of debts. You know what I mean? It's clearing of debts, more mm, so than paying. That's, then that's you what happens. Don't have to pay. Yeah, yeah. What actually happens is the debts are cleared during a jubilee. Not everybody just stops paying.
0: Just so it'd paid. be like twenty jubilee. Get out from under it. You know. Yeah, but, really, it, it, but it's, but like it's also debt. means that.
2: There's, but there's all kinds of like you know because people also in their social situations it's hard to avoid like kind of a you know tit for tat kind of transactional
1: natures of Aspects of relationships, you know, and, and just give, just fucking let it want. go, you know, and just let it go. 20 Jubilee,
0: go. yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then 2020 Glee, which is kind of like 2020 Squee in a way, mm-hmm. so you know, they're
0: kind of the same, but just, just, have have just have a good time, get pumped, have a good time, sing songs and sync with your teenage friends, you know, that's right, that's right, that's 2020 right, okay. Glee. Uh, <laughs> what do you guys think? Any one of
1: those sticking out? There's
2: also 2020 20, 20, Mac and me.
0: Mm, ooh, watch yeah. it. Does it hold it, up? Does it hold so up? That 20, that's 20, the whole, Twenty Mac and me. Does it yeah. hold <laughs> up? <laughs> that's the theme of this year. <laughs> may, or may not it Probably does. Have doesn't. you guys seen? Bit. Have you guys seen the Paul Rudd yes. Mac and me? Uh-huh. Thing? Sam, have you I seen this?
1: But I'm taking a note and I'm gonna go so, watch it. Every time so, he
0: goes on to which show is it? Is it the Conan? Conan. Yeah. Every time Paul Rudd is promoting a movie, he goes on to Conan. And Conan will be like, all right, let's pull up a clip from the movie. And instead of a clip from the movie, Paul Rudd has submitted the clip from Mac and Me where some kid in a wheelchair goes, flying, <laughs> off a goes flying off a cliff into a lake. And then the alien like face pops up into the camera and is all surprised about this thing that just happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this watches. is like Sounds every good. single time. He's at, like 20 times. Gets, <laughs> like a lot of times. <laughs> and It just gets better every time. Uh, also, I don't. I remember seeing that movie. I don't remember a scene where someone in a wheelchair. Flies I also off do cliff. not
2: remember that. All so, I,
0: yeah, all I remember is the fucking like because they
2: drink. They're drinking like Pepsi out of the moon, right? Is like how it opens or something.
0: This moon full well, of it, Pepsi's. The, like the moon's like eggs. yeah. The moon's like full of Pepsi. Or the something the like. movie was like a like a McDonald's sponsored like product placement movie or something yeah it was fucking weird yeah and so they like they, they jammed I mean, a lot the of, like fast, to, fast yeah. of like fast fast food kinds of everything was <laughs> advertisement
2: for everything that was going to kids was an advertisement for you know toys Cheddar or something like. yeah.
0: yeah so mm-hmm. i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i want to wait until we get some feedback from our listeners and hear what they think okay mm-hmm. i want to i want to mull this over so All right, so you, you can go to the discord.gg slash Discuss stuff there in the
1: podcast channel or throw it in the podcast.beatscotch.net suggestions or questions area
0: with yeah. what you got. If you got predictions for 2023 or if you have themes slash names for 2023, we want to hear them. Mm-hmm. If you get some good ones, we'll talk about those. And then, and then next good episode, one. we will unveil name. <laughs> what 2023 is going to be. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this last episode of 2022. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa de Costa for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.